You're a funny guy, Sally. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. So loud. Oh, you're loud. Oh, sorry. What do you want to tell me now, tough guy? I said, Bing, what are you doing here? I thought I'd tell you to go fuck your mother. <laughs> you don't trust me at all, do you? I tell you what, you make it through tomorrow without killing anybody, then I'll start trusting you. Fair enough. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what Matrix, you did. I lied. All right, this is Kill You Last. I'm Peter Garacci. I'm Alex Pashera. And in studio, we have filmmaker Cody Clark. Welcome, Cody. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, we uh, This is our first time meeting for all three of us. Uh, we have a, like a Twitter friendship, I guess, and we, we like a lot of this stuff. I don't know how to use Twitter. I should start that. Yeah, right now I think it's you didn't clear. even know that we had fans writing in to us, I've, and you just you were ignoring them. I literally just retweet the the articles that I want to read later. Yeah, so I I've, and then I've, nobody likes it, and nobody and they get no likes. <laughs> but uh, that's cool. So we've been you know we following each other on Twitter. You uh, you've made a bunch of like micro budget films, including one with a uh, friend of the pod, Anthony Kaffer. Um, and so I guess you know we started doing a little Twitter. Communication and next thing you know, on a podcast, which is one of the cool things about living in New York City in 2019. Absolutely, but um, welcome. Yeah, so you picked a you picked a movie I didn't really know anything about, so I'm curious what this movie means to you. Yeah, this uh, movie, and I should say that I I actually brought the physical copy with me, which I I guess would probably be rare in this day and age for yeah. any of your guests to do. Yeah. So I'm also a big fan of physical media. I own a lot of DVDs, Blu-rays. Yes. Yeah, this is the DVD of The Punisher, which came out, the, the DVD version of it came out in 99, which is actually the first time it's been seen in its proper aspect ratio, not cropped really? for 4.3. Um, this, this film has a little bit of a weird storied past because it's an 80s movie. It was due to come out in 1989, and um, the company that made it went under. Um, so it never actually came out in the 80s, though it's technically an 80s movie because it was made in the 80s and yeah. fully intended to be released in the 80s. Yeah. Um, so the company that bought up like the essentially the old stock or whatever was you know due to come out for this uh for i guess it was new world pictures um i forget what the company was called at the time that bought it but they later became lionsgate um so they bought it up and they weren't interested in a theatrical release or anything they just wanted to do straight to video stuff so this came out in you know a crappy straight to video context where people were viewing it uh you know pan and scan four three uh and they were uh, they were treating it like just a straight to video release when it was actually always intended to be you know a theatrical film it has it has a great score it has a score that was composed for the movie it's not like a lot of uh straight to vhs stuff of the 90s where it's just some crappy score that's just stuck on no this definitely i'm so surprised to hear that it was straight to straight to video did they play this like on cable at all or was it just a straight to vhs release at the time um i assume it was on some of the you know the premium channels sure at the time but yeah primarily people saw this and uh Rented viewed it, it viewed it in the context of just a VHS tape, okay. and and so that colored how it was received. It it, it had you know very poor reviews, mm-hmm. um, and it just never really got its due. Probably until the DVD release in '99, when people actually saw it um, looking a lot better. Even though the transfer isn't perfect, um, it's a lot better, and you see a little bit more of what was intended than you see on on a VHS. 
So if I if I watched it, and I'm sorry, I don't know if this is going to offend you, but if I watched this on YouTube in uh, 1080p, uh-huh. so there is a 1080p upload of this in, on YouTube. Support the movie if you want it and buy it. But I was in a pinch. I watched it today at work. But it was, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, is that the right aspect ratio? Because it, yeah, the only way it could be in 1080p would be, I guess, a DVD rip. Yeah, it's probably a rip of the DVD yeah. that got uploaded at maximum quality just to... So to avoid the uh, the YouTube compression, um, right? But right. yeah, it was probably a, a DVD rip. It looked it looked great. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming, uh, yeah. See, I wanted because I watched. I got the DVD from Netflix, and it didn't look or sound great. And I was wondering if it because it wasn't you know needs to be like digitally restored or yeah. Ninety nine is kind of a crappy time for uh, transfers from thirty five millimeter to DVD uh, for for something like this. For a the inf- like this. infancy stages of DVDs, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's pretty amazing that it even had a, a sixteen nine um, anamorphic release at that time period. All right, you're gonna have to dumb this down for the <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, including me, I'm one of the them. the traditional way of transferring movies to dvd when dvd first started was um non-anamorphic so in a in a square frame essentially a four three frame you would have the proper aspect ratio but it would be presented within that small frame so if you watched so it like letterbox on, yeah exactly yeah. so if you watched it on a a tv of of now basically it sure. would just be a tiny tiny rectangle in the middle of the screen and there's right. not really much you can do to make it bigger without stretching it out in a way that and zooming. screws it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a lot of the early DVDs, that was the case. Um, there's still movies that the only way you can see them are non-anamorphic transfers. Big movies like uh, um, The Abyss, James Cameron's The Abyss, or True Lies. Yeah. Those are two movies. Those are two probably the biggest movies that still have never had a proper anamorphic transfer of them. So... Um, I love both those movies. I haven't seen The Abyss since I was a kid, and I love that movie. But True Lies I watched recently, and yeah, it doesn't look... It's funny, because a lot of the Cameron stuff... I mean, T2 is amazing, because for being from 91, it looks great. Yeah. Like, it's still... And it's funny, because... So the, the director of this movie, is, is it Mark Goldenblatt? I think that's his name. I think he well, only... Well, we can check it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> only, he only directed one or two movies. Mark Goldblatt, yeah. But he edited pretty much every great 80s and 90s action. He did basically all of the Cameron stuff, starting with Terminator. Absolutely. He did uh, uh, Rambo 2. He edited. He's edited a lot. And like T2, he was nominated for an Oscar for editing for that movie. And he's, uh, he's an interesting guy because this, this movie, what I like most about The Punisher, um, what I connect to it the most on, is the fact that there's no fat really in it. Like it's, it's streamlined. It's quick. You get in, you get out. All the action sequences are what comprises the film primarily like there's only a couple other like exposition scenes it's it's very breezy it's mostly action it feels like a comic book and yeah i'm someone who doesn't really connect to modern comic book movies i don't i don't want to sit there for three and a half hours yes. watching a comic book movie it is weird and now that you say that it's weird that that's what comic book movies or just comic books have turned into yeah is like a three and a half hour extravaganza of digital effects and and uh, celebrities. Well, every it's just, movie it's is very now strange. Way too long. Like they don't. I, I'm a big like my big. I have a big thing about proportion in the arts. And unless you're telling an epic story that's like taking place over 50 years, there's really no need for a movie to be three hours long. I agree. So like a, a 90, 100 minute movie is like, especially for an action movie. Like that's the problem I have with the new Mission Impossible movie. That new Mission Impossible movie is amazing, except there's too much mm. of everything. If it had been 
like I just don't like the action sequences are incredible, but you're like overloaded with stuff, right. and like the audience doesn't know you can't. It's almost like you can't process everything that's happening. And I do I do like a bare bones like this is an action movie. This it's there's the good guy is doing one thing and he's getting stopped by the bad guy and this is what we're doing yeah with my own films um i most of my films are about 70 to 80 minutes long yeah um i i don't like to overstay my welcome i feel like especially an indie filmmaker who's who's not particularly well known like myself i don't want to waste anybody's time i don't want to create any barriers to entry um with enjoying my stuff like i I'm one of those movies where, like, if it's if it's right before you go to sleep, you can still probably squeeze it in because it's like 70 minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that goes across uh, a lot of the arts. I used to be in a band and I used to write songs. Um, I still do sometimes, and I never wanted to write songs that were like over uh, three minutes, three you know, four minutes max, uh, because you know, yeah, if you're like you too, sure, someone will give you the benefit of the doubt to listen to the eight minute song or whatever but like you have to get them up top and then comics too now that i do comedy i mean nobody most of the time me and peter are going into settings where the crowd doesn't know who we are right so we need to get laughs quickly because we need to sort of earn that trust with the audience whereas like if you're Chappelle going up there you kind of you're allowed to like sort of go on a an unfunny monologue for 10 minutes and, and, and they know and expect that something is going to pay off from this. But like, really, we, I don't think that but even, when someone doesn't know you, but it, even for a big name, it's like a, a killer 15 minutes is better than a mediocre 45 minutes at any time. Of course. So same I think, with movies. Though. Yeah, I think, like, but yeah. I think, I think it's like, I don't know why we've kind of lost. Is it because there, I think it's maybe it's because the movies are 18, $20 to go see now. Yeah. So you want maybe make, make people feel like they're getting more for their their dollar but it's yeah it's just a weird thing that's happening where every movie is like i literally will will not go see a movie depending on the on the runtime and i'll be more excited for a movie if it's got a shorter even i think the third john wick was even lo- like it's way longer long. i don't understand it's, it's like a long movie it's like one of those things where you start getting a little bit of money and you start feeling good about yourself you're like oh let's just keep going it's like no stop <laughs> stop doing that make it less so you're so you are a, like a true indie, indie filmmaker. filmmaker so i'm curious as somebody who thinks about making movies, I'm curious. Well, you don't know you're... anything about anything with technology. Yeah, well, it's fascinating. He's obsessed with movies, but he doesn't know anything about technology. I mean, you, like if you, I if you I hire people for that stuff. Well, yeah, but I'm assuming our, our man here is is setting up sound, like figuring out the shot, knowing exactly how. I mean, you're talking about transfers to different aspect ratios. Peter, you would be so lost. I know aspect ratio. You know what that is, <laughs> at least. I know it has to do with the size of the picture. Because because with with TV, <laughs> when they when they started showing movies on TV, yeah, because because yeah, yeah. a film screen is a different shape than a TV screen, they cut the edges off right. of the film and they put it on a TV. Right. But now that we have rectangular televisions mm-hmm. they don't have to do that the same way they used to have when we had square televisions all right it wasn't a test man i'm just saying yeah, well you passed i know shit anyway but yeah. more interestingly I, i'm fascinated to hear about the perspective of an indie filmmaker in 2019 where like sort of i mean what is your so our we talk about the film industry a lot and how it's kind of like drastically changed over the last 10 years and how like it's kind of you know it's kind of like it's kind of in the in the shitter right now in terms of like the only movies that are available are these giant budget movies and 
I'm not really interested in superhero movies myself. He's not really either. We've reverted back to 80s movies and made a podcast about it. But like um, from your perspective, are, do we have it wrong? Is it is is there an uh, is there an optimistic side to to filmmaking? Is that in the indie space? Like I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, your your instinct is is absolutely correct. We're, this is a a very transitional period where right. the even the word film we thought we knew what that word meant for about a hundred years, and we realized we were absolutely wrong. Because right. what do you mean by that? That's and and what we what I mean by that is that um, there's no such thing as an art form that isn't democratized. Like it, you can't even be an art form if nobody can do it as easily as speaking, just like with stand-up mm-hmm. comedy, or as easily as a pen and paper, like with writing mm-hmm. or poetry or whatever. Um, film has never really been an art form because there's been so much barrier to entry and there's mm-hmm. been so much gatekeeping. And we've really only seen select people's ideas of what film That's is. That's so true. I never. So when, when we think of Spielberg, when we think of Jaws, when we think of Star Wars, you know, these are, these are brilliant filmmakers, no doubt. But what film actually is is probably closer to what a kid is doing on YouTube yeah. Uh, with a camera and no resources and nothing else. That's probably closer to what film is. A viral video, something that catches on like that. That's probably what film is. Right. Yeah. The, 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 the art of film. Absolutely. Not necessarily these... these um, and you get it in music production, too. Back before digital was huge, you had these like very few awesome really amazing music producers who controlled like no 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 no. you record a guitar this way listen but you don't record a guitar that way you could do whatever the fuck you want with a guitar and you can make it sound awesome but like there were these there were these gatekeepers who made these processes and and standardized them and i feel like that happened with film is what you're saying i mean that totally makes sense probably the biggest with film right right you know we 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 buy a ticket we go there we sit down and we've we've been force-fed a certain idea of what a film is. And I and many indie filmmakers, we're at a bit of a disadvantage because we're dealing with 100 years of brainwashing. So yeah. when I when I come out with a movie and I make it for basically peanuts, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've gone higher than a couple thousand dollars on a that's, budget of one of my films. To make a film, that's, a, yeah. that's incredibly and low for anyone that doesn't know that. But absolutely. of course they know that, yeah. So part of what, what sparked me down this road at all was a, a quote that I heard from a filmmaker that I adore, a, a filmmaker by the name of uh, Jean Cocteau, who was also a poet and writer, really brilliant thinker. And he said, this was back in like the 20s or 30s, he said, film will only ever be an art form when its materials cost as much as a pen and paper. Well, so he wow. was like, really early on in film, he was like calling bullshit on everything wow. that was going on. He was like, fuck this. You think this is art. You don't even know what art is <laughs> until we get farther down the line and anybody can make a movie. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're closer to there and that, that point than we've ever been by a wide margin. I'm sure we can get even closer. I'm sure it's going to be, you know, in the future, people will just look at something and record it with their eyes. Oh, you never Christ. know what, you know, what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's close, man. Everyone's got a, almost a movie studio in their pocket. Absolutely. It's pretty wild. I, I mean, I, I wonder, though, because I, I love I lo- I'm so on board with your uh, with your thinking there. And also, 
that French dude. What's his name again? Jean, Jean Cocteau. Shouts out Cocteau, Absolutely, dude. Yeah. dude. That guy, what a forward thinker. I love guys that probably sounded fucking insane to everyone around him. He probably was a nut, dude. Like, like just saying that all the time, you know? F- and just people being like, dude, fuck you. We're just trying to make a movie. The French but, like, have always been mavericks when it comes to making movies, though. True. They're always, they, they're like, always at the forefront of, like, a revolution or something. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I think that, like, if you follow, like, silent films, sh- shorts, talking, like, the, the, the film itself is the medium. So, like, you can have a movie that's high art and you can have a movie that's, that's low art. So, I, want, I mean, to me, it's always just a form of storytelling. So, whether I'm reading a book or watching a movie or someone's telling me a story, the quality of the story to me kind of changes where I put it in sort of a hierarchy. Do you know what I mean? So, so like, a movie to me could be, like, a junky, fun, like, zero-calorie thing, or it could be, like, absolutely, like, high art. I think now it, it's true that the the gatekeepers are all are all gone. But it's funny that the... Not, not really, though, for, like, theatrical releases. Well, yeah, but... They, but, well, but they're scared. Not, they're, they're, they're frightened. To, um, to lose it, money. There's, there's not a worse time to be somebody powerful in the film industry. Right. It's never been a worse time. Right. Because they, they've reverted to just whatever's safe, which is superhero movies. Those are doing well yes. right now. Yes. But superhero movies, that bubble's going to burst at yeah. some point. People are going to stop caring. They you can have see it from this, a million miles away. Yeah, I am yeah. not a film critic or anything with I have I have a movie podcast. That's my credit for this. <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah. No, it's a good podcast, <laughs> whatever. Um I I can see it happening. The bubble's gonna burst. I can see that happening. It's probably got like a couple of years of well, expiration. Mon- but but yeah, no. Money I, I ruins a lot money head. ruins a lot of stuff. And so if it's like if you spend a hundred million dollars and you gotta make three hundred million dollars, yeah. It's a different proposition than totally. if you spend $2 million and $20 million is a huge success. Right. So I think what's happened is that it's like um, – it's almost like a kind of like gambling where people are like each, – each guy wants – nobody wants to be the guy that says, oh, no, no, like, stop. Everyone just keeps raising the stakes. Yeah, that's nobody, a bubble. That's yeah, nobody, exactly nobody, nobody wants to uh, – nobody wants to, to blink. And say no, wait a minute. Why don't we like? Why? I mean, why should a superhero movie cost two hundred million dollars to make? You it's know, crazy. Yeah. And it's and we're like people are they're like sheep. They're like, oh, I, I have to go see the new event. Why? Why do you feel like you have to go see a movie just because everyone's talking about that movie? It's so, it's always been weird to me. Cause yeah, I, everybody's scared to get uh, you know, dropped from the conversation. But and, it's weird in a, in a time when yeah. there's less. Like I remember. I mean, I'm not that much older. Where it's like we went to uh, school. Wait, hold up. Yes, you are. I'm a lot older than. How us. old are you? Well, how old are you, sir? I'm 31. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. much older. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm 27. When I went to you're... high school, okay. we went to school and we talked about the TV show that was on the TV the night before. Okay. And I don't feel like that. Even even now, like I, you know, um, a friend is trying to get me into Mad Men, but I'm like, even if I start watching it, who am I going to talk to about it afterwards? I haven't talked to anybody about a TV show that I've watched in ages like that's that community social aspect of it is gone so i feel like i don't even i don't even hear people talking about marvel i just hear them say oh i saw the new marvel movie right it's, like it's, it's, it's just so like enough minimalist you're just you're just, like, like, you're just like you're just like stam- you've been stamped well. yeah. you've been stamped that you you participated but, it, but it's gotten to that point there was year, you know it got to this that point because there was a community of people talking about it um, for sure. I mean, there were people obsessed with the first Avengers movie. It was like oh, they I had think, whole conventions. I think if you go back stuff. to the Tobey Maguire Spider Man, I remember sure. that was a huge event. It was like oh one. Even and and when Robert Downey Jr. came back with Iron Man, yeah. like that was such a huge deal because that guy was yeah his he was 
deader than a doornail. Like his career was over, and then for him to like, I mean, it was one of the great, probably the greatest Hollywood story ever. Like as far as comebacks are concerned, yeah. Like the and guy one, is, one of the better comic book movies for sure. Sure, Iron Man. is that for sure. Iron Man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's and he's great, and he's and he's a real star. Like a lot of these other guys, no one is going to see. The new Liam, Hen- what's his name? Hemsworth. Liam I mean, Hem- people do see Thor, dude. No, but uh, yeah, but they go see Thor. No one is. I don't think that those movies are making. Even I, to guys, I feel bad for because like someone like Tom Hiddleston, who's the Loki in the Thor movies. Yeah, he's like an honest to goodness great actor. Yeah, he's a proper actor. And for I don't sure. think anyone's going to see him doing anything else that's not a Marvel. Movie. You know what I mean? He's not it, the the whole star thing. Same thing with um Michael Fassbender. Honestly, a great actor has like this promising career. Now he's just the guy in the new X Men movies. Like I feel like you don't hear about him doing anything else besides the X Men movies. You know, it's weird. It, it is a weird. I don't. I don't know what that is. I. I mean, I love the eighties were a simpler time, man. That's what it was. Um, but we should. I mean, we should talk about the Punisher because I, I didn't. I didn't love it. I'm. I'm. Dolph Lundgren to me is Ivan Drago, and that's it. Like he's such a huge part of my childhood just in that role. And I remember when Masters of the Universe came out. I did go see that because I'm a huge He-Man fan, but even that I was like, it's like way too dark. I don't understand why it's like so heavy. Like they were making a kids movie, but it was like way too heavy and dark. Like literally dark. Like every scene was like shot at night. Yeah. And so then I missed the Punisher, and I've never seen any other Punisher. I, I know Punisher is like a thing that just keeps happening over and over again. Like, sure. Yeah. There was another movie. There's a TV show, and I just have never been. My favorite part of this movie is Louis Gossett Jr. <laughs> as a, and I, I love Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, and he's, he's fun- always great. And he's funny. Is like I don't know if he's like he's oh he's the ex partner who's now sort of like searching for the ghost of the Punisher. And for some reason he's wearing ridiculous coats in every scene. Am I the only one who noticed that Louis Gossett Jr. is wearing like a crazy coat? I just chalk it up to eighties costume. No, but it's I, like is it really way ridiculous? oversized, like a tan leather, way oversized coat. It is very eighties, but it's yeah. like to the point where it's like. This was a decision somebody made. But somebody said, "Like, let's do this," and he was like, "All right, cool." Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, like I said, I've never this. This was sort of a dark time for for superhero movies too, right? Because like, by at this point, the I love the Christopher Reeve Supermans, but by the time you get to like the late '80s, you get like Superman Four, which was a travesty, and then you didn't really have any other. Well, Batman super- came out in '89. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, yeah. So you have 89, you have, and that was just like a, a cultural event, though. Yeah. Because you have Nicholson, yep. you have, I mean, Tim Burton's kind of the hot new thing. Um, but other than that, I'm trying to think of any other superheroes. I mean, Supergirl? We both, I, I don't know. Like he might have out. just be getting born. I wasn't alive yet, so this, is, this one's to, on I'm you. I'm trying to remember. 89. What was, what was I doing in 89? Oh, uh, well, whatever, whatever was going on, Batman dominated the yeah. conversation. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, there's, a movie like this didn't have a chance against uh, you know, Batman and then Batman Returns. And just like this, this idea of superhero movies that was kind of a little bit divorced from the comics, uh, I would yeah, say. Definitely. You know, I mean, Batman especially. Batman's fantastic. Batman Returns, tremendous. These, these movies are good, but they aren't, uh, they don't have that comic book feel that I particularly, uh, like, I'll, I'll, I'd rather watch The Punisher than the first Batman movie, just personally, even though I sure. think the first Batman movie's fantastic as a movie if i want that comic book feel i'm either going to pick up a comic book or i'm going to watch something a little bit more comic booky like the punisher and 
Then there was the the Punisher from like around like maybe two thousand three that was really really poorly made. Yeah, but there yeah. was a there was a good one after that called Punisher Warzone, which is a bit more of that comic book feel and feels a little bit more um, in line with uh, this Punisher one from nineteen eighty nine. It has a bit more of that feel. So, as someone who who's not a comic book guy, like what is the comic book feel? Like, what are you looking for from a movie that? Well, is I don't based want. I don't want any of this stuff that's very convenient for a movie to mm-hmm. have. I want I want a lot of this stuff that uh like when I pick up a comic book, I want to play I want it to be like a train that's like in motion and I'm like running alongside of it and jumping on it and I don't know where it's going and I don't really know who all these people are, but mm-hmm. I'm just following it along and the action's getting me through it and by the time I realize what even I just watched it's over. Like I just want that breezy feel and um I think the editing in this movie is is great because I get that feel from it, um, and it, I I like a you know I, I like a lot of eighties action, I like a lot of nineties action, and this is you know just as good as a lot of the those kind of movies I would Absolutely. say of that time period. And the interest when I was watching it, I thought it was interesting that they don't give his backstory or why he's doing what he's doing. They tell you he's committed 125 murders against these mobsters, but they don't even give you the motive and they don't like imply the motive until very late. In right. The movie. Which is refreshing. Cause every, every comic book movie is like an origin story. Right. It's like everyone is, you're right. And, and How many or- origin stories of Spider-Man? Oh, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. It's, it's insulting. Like, it's, it's, it is insulting because it's, the origin is usually the least interesting part yes. of the superhero. It's like, all right, we want to know what he did after. We don't need to see him as a kid right. in his awkward stage for like a half hour, 45 minutes. Like, sure, let's, sure, sure. let's get to him like swinging from the rooftops sure. and all that. Um, so I always, I always give like extra points to any superhero movie that at least truncates the origin story to like a few blips here and there. Or something like that. And we get to spend time with the actual character. You know, most people, when they pick up comic books, they don't pick it up from number one. Yes. You know, they yes. somebody says, hey, you got to read, you know, whatever. Or they see it at a store and they pick it up. That's the that's the comic book uh, connection of you're, you're getting into something and you, do, you aren't getting into it from the very first thing. And I think comic book movies, especially with all the fan base it has... Most people know the origin stories. Let's just pick it up a little bit later. Let's just mm-hmm. see them actually doing the interesting stuff. Like it's crazy. I just th- yeah, I think I think I origin is the easiest story structure. Oh, absolutely. So it's a, it's a cheat because it's like oh, and yeah. and I think movies are very deterministic. It's, like, it's lazy. Yeah, movies are deterministic. So he becomes this because such and such happened in his childhood. So it's right. a very easy story structure to do. You don't have to invent. It's, it's built in a, a, a plot that way. Right. You know, and then it's like oh, and then the bad guy arrives, and for the last ten minutes. He fights the bad guy, and then the end. You know, it it is. It's it's. I, if anything, like that's why I I thought I remember seeing the first X Men in the theater, and that movie. I thought again, even at the and like the action, I don't think it's particularly great. To me, that movie is is Wolverine and the introduction of Wolverine, and 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 again, and it keeps it mysterious, and you don't you don't start at the beginning. You find him in the middle of his life, but like. That and Hugh Jackman in that role is so amazing that it was like he just blew everything away. So Logan, I watched Logan last year, and that movie's fucking incredible. And that really showed like what you can do when you're very creative with with a with a with a superhero property, but are not doing like this has to be the biggest movie of the summer. Right. You know, we have to throw everything against the wall and hope that this works. 
it's I, I it's it's weird to me. It's almost like um, I mean, like, this is like a cliche, but like there are there are myths. So they're just going to keep telling us, you know, this is our Zeus story, but this is like the new version of of these these like Greek myths, and we're just going to hear these stories. I mean, like the new Joker movie coming out is a perfect example of that. For whatever it's another reason, another origin. Story. We're but we're yeah. fixated on these on these characters as these like almost like these demigods, and like we're just going to keep getting like it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be like three superheroes working in a, in a market to, you know what I mean? It's going to be like a buddy, a buddy comedy of, of superheroes, like, you know, trying to, you know, get a business off. It's something like pedestrian as possible. You can just imagine for whatever reason, people are fixated on these, on these characters. Uh, and so we are going to just get it over and over again. I'm, I'm interested to see, I don't know. I, I mean, I love film. I love movies. I don't necessarily need, I also think that there doesn't need to be a ton of new movies. Do you know what I mean? I think you, right. you, you could yeah. spend your lifetime only watching movies that are you know, 30, 50, 70 years old. It's the same thing with most art forms is that there's, there ends up being a point where there's so much backlog that you could, you could spend an entire lifetime watching only movies from 70s, yeah. 80s, 60s, whatever, and you'd never want for entertainment beyond yeah. that. Um, you know, it's like, why is there porn we have yes, so much that's porn the ba- that's already. the penultimate example yeah of that. exactly and comic books there's so many comic books nobody reads you go to any of these like yeah there's a great comic book warehouse actually in brooklyn called uh koch comics where it's just it's just a, a weird industrial warehouse it's just full of comics you could go in there dollar comics you could buy entire runs of these comic books nobody's ever heard of nobody's mm. nobody's making a movie out of half of these so mm. You know, the point is that there's so much there, so much music, so much everything. It's like it's comedy, it's everything. Yeah, it's, it is. So it's like, what do you do to stand out from the crowd? and Or to just make something new. Exactly. Make something new. That's, that's hard enough. That's what I always try to do. That's what everybody I, I am rooting for is trying to do something new. You know, yes. Something that hasn't been done. You know, I, I can't afford to make... A blockbuster, crazy, you know, Hollywood movie. Nobody would let me make that. So I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do, you know, something that I know because I've watched a ton of movies. I know hasn't been done before. Yeah. You know, at the very well, least. So, no, tell, so tell us your like awesome. backstory. Like, where are you from and how you got into? Well, I grew up this. in yeah. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, always was interested in film um, at a very early age. My my parents always had like a lot of. Uh, VHS tapes that they would tape off of like HBO, just like you know, three movies per tape. We My dad just, did that too. We yeah, had, we yeah. had them all labeled and shit. exactly. Yeah. That's I mean, that's what I grew up with was just being like really interested by like this shelf we had with just like mm-hmm. all these movies and and curious why my parents you know decided to tape these movies over other movies. Sure. Or you just get a sense of a person's taste, and then as you grow up, you kind of develop your own taste. Mm-hmm. You realize, well, I like. Uh, I like this one and my parents don't like that and mm-hmm. like you know that's okay it's like at an early age you kind of just like realize what you like and what you don't like and so I was always surrounded by movies um, same with music same with other stuff too but um, film always felt like the end game like the end goal is like does it feel like the ultimate I don't want to say art form or form of media or form of storytelling to you? Yeah, it's a it's a place where I can do a lot of different 
types of things that I like to do. Like I, I like to compose music. Um, sure. So sometimes I'll, I'll use my ear for that to pick out either pre-existing songs that I know would work well that are like royalty free where like I'll, I'll go through like hundreds of these and I'll see like, ah, oh, this sounds terrible. This sounds terrible. And then I'll find like someone that's like, oh my God, this actually sounds really good. And I can like defend it, you know, on some level or whatever, mm-hmm. or I'll just compose my own stuff. And, you know, my art background, I, I know how to compose a shot. I know, you know, things of that nature. It's just a place where I can use a lot of my different talents. Right. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not the greatest in one particular area, but if I combine all those talents, I can make, you know, a decent film. You yeah. Know? And that's that's something that I've I've developed and have been able to do. And also I've just always been you know, you have to be kind of a student of film history and you also have to be interested in technical aspects you know i can't i can't afford to do the thing of i'm just the director and everybody else is just going to do the other stuff right. which is kind of how indie film started you know you look at the early careers of spike lee or whoever else mm-hmm. a lot of what we call a spike lee movie is his dp ernest dickerson who's a genius um on his early stuff the the look of a spike lee movie when a Spike Lee movie looked good, because sometimes you know, people <laughs> yeah. kind of they they they're not working with their DP anymore, and then like you know uh, you're like, why is this not as good? Oh, they weren't working with the people that made the good ones. Yeah, um, you know Tarantino, perfect example, but a tragic example. His his editor, his longtime editor Sally Menke, passed away. Yeah, um, right after I guess Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, we yeah. Talked, when and, did we talk about that? We talked about on, uh, on one of our episodes. On, no, on the morning show. With Bill. Oh, that's right, with yeah, Bill yeah. Schultz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a big thing with what happened with Tarantino's Absolutely. Career. I mean, you look at uh, Hateful Eight and you look at oh. Django, you know, they, there's something in there and she probably would have been able to find it, but yeah. the finished product just isn't up to par with a lot of his other stuff. Especially for Hateful Eight. Oh, I was so you. offended that Django won Best Screenplay. Like, that movie is a mess. And again, yeah. and even with the new one, like, I loved... The thing that frustrates me with Tarantino is I love so much of his movies that I, I want him to be reined in. And it's there was, somebody had this great line because I don't know if you guys remember like, too, too young for this, but like the whole Prince controversy where he changed his name to like a squiggly symbol. No, mm-hmm. I did, you know not, this? Never so for a while he like Prince was like in the news and he like he literally had this like symbol and he goes, "That's my new name. I don't. I'm not Prince anymore." And what happened was that the, the record company owned the rights to all of his music. Okay. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to sell my name. He's, and he really like wrote Slave in his beard one time when he performed on TV. And like there was this whole big thing. Right. And he eventually like renegotiated with the record company and went back to being Prince. But the whole thing was is he wanted to have total control over his music. Sure, yeah. And then there was a period where Prince was like releasing like triple albums and stuff. And somebody said was like, Oh, maybe the record company was right. Like, there's something. There's something to like. It's rate. always interesting. There's something to like he's box, r- boxing in an artist and forcing yeah, them to work under some, constraints. Yeah. There know? is something to that, and it's it's always interesting when you're rooting. The guy has a righteous cause, but then the outcome is yeah. poorer quality. I'm a huge stuff. Jack White fan, and Jack White sure. said like he specifically limited himself yes. in order to make art. It's like he the the color scheme of the band and the, the instruments they use the way they recorded everything that he did. Well, that's what he said. He said, "I know exactly which." I'm a huge fan of Jack White, and he was like, "We're gonna have a guitar, we're gonna have drums, and that's all I have. To, that's all I have to write these songs because if I have more than that, I have too many options, and I'm paralyzed." Yeah, and it's yeah. a it's a I totally identify anyone that's tried to create something ever. 
<laughs> which is most people, would be able to empathize with that feeling of like, well, I could go this way or I could go that way yeah. or I could use this thing. That's part I, of why people have, have writer's block is because they 100%. look at an empty page and you can put any Anything. word down. Yeah. Any word that pops in your head, the you can put down. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> any which, word. Which just yeah. popped in Alex's head. Oh, it's the, always one of the first things. Either a gay thing or the N-word. That's just, you know, that's my comedy, guys. Very lowbrow. Um, continue. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the scariest thing for an artist. And I think... Yes. You know, usually also with ideas that are very precious to them, where like somebody will have an idea for like, oh, I have this great sci-fi novel in my head, and it's going to be like seven books and this, that, and the other. Well, you're never going to finish it because. Oh, yeah. But if you if you take an idea that's not precious to you, like uh, one of my films that I made was a film called Ramekin, which is on Amazon Prime. It's uh, for those who don't know, a ramekin is just a porcelain dish. It's like you usually receive it at like a fancy restaurant with some sauce in it or whatever. Yeah, that's just what it's what the word is. And the word ramekin, I just it just sounds like a gremlin or like something scary. Yeah, it does. I did not. I I don't I didn't know the word until you just described it. I was thinking something like like a demon. Exactly. So I made a horror movie called ramekin just because I was like, well, it's a it's a weird word. I'll make a horror movie about a porcelain cup. And that was I wrote it in like two weeks. Like it was the easiest thing in the world because there was no pressure. Yeah. It was just something so simple. It wasn't an idea that I had in the back of my mind for like ten years, right? Or anything like 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 that. Where like, like a symbolic masterpiece that needs to be perfect. Exactly. It was like just, it like was, my pilot that I can never write. <laughs> that's exactly it, though. Have you ever yeah. even written a page of that? I've I've written a lot of notes and talked to a lot of people about it, but I have not gotten anything actual right. done. It's yeah, probably it, too it's, big. It's too important. It's to too, yeah, the big ideas they take forever. They 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 ruin you for a lot of for a lot of artists. Uh, it takes it takes a few efforts or a few tries to figure that out. Because yeah. the first thing you try whenever you start is going to be that idea, and then you sl- I guess slowly realize that. All right, let me just see it through yeah. to the end. The and, stuff and, where you take yeah. the pressure off and it's an idea you barely care about and yeah. you just bang it out really quick. That movie has done really, really well. Really? A lot of people have connected to nice. it. It's, it's one of the quickest things I ever wrote. Um, the shoot was really easy. The editing took forever, but that's just that's another story. kind of always. That's always, yeah, exactly. There's no avoiding that. Yeah. Um, but it was an idea I didn't care about it and it, it, w- it came to me at a time when I hadn't made a film in um, a number of years. And wow. then since doing that one, that kind of like helped me break out of the, you know, the slog and like being like slow as molasses with everything. Sure. And like I, I cranked out like four films after that in the next like couple of years. Wow. So. It, I mean, it is funny like how many like how many masterworks are like assignments. You know, yes. Coppola didn't want to yeah. make The Godfather. Right. Um, That's incredible. When you but it's, it's also like the pr- I know with me like external pressure. I, I was a newspaper reporter out of college. And I find a new thing out about you. Every yeah, that was my first job. Out of I was never like technically. They hired me as like a clerk, but I was like freelancing articles while I was work- I was working for one of the biggest papers in the in the country. What were you doing? Um, I I freelanced an article which got me into the office, and then they hired me as a clerk. Wow! And so I was trying to like earn my way to being a reporter. Yeah. This just happens to be at the worst time for newspapers ever. Like there was a hiring freeze, they were letting people go, and I was new and hungry, and they were paying me like ten dollars an hour. To do- but I like I had stories on the front of the business page, like I like broke news and stuff, and I couldn't go home until my editor said that I was done. So I knew that like I wasn't leaving until the story was and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I remember the first story I freelanced, I was like so precious about it 
and I spent like 12 hours overnight yeah. writing it and I wanted everything to be perfect. Yep. And then the next day, the editor tore it apart over the phone. Mm-hmm. And six months later, I was writing similar stories in 45 minutes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just like, it's, there's something to just learning the routine and, le- and just going through the motions. Because I know that me as an artist, I, if I'm in my head, it's nothing gets done. I'm, I'm better if I just trust my instincts and move forward than if I sit there and try to make everything perfectly. And I think that's why, like, you know, Scorsese, all these guys, I mean, a lot of these guys went to, like, Roger Corman's film school, basically, where he right. made them make shit movies. Mm-hmm. And all Best he cared, thing that ever happened to them. All he cared about was that they were fast and they were cheap. And they were making two sometimes at the same time for the same, you know, they were splitting the budget in half. And so these guys all learned how to, I mean, Nicholson, Scorsese, Coppola, so many guys from that time period, they learned how to make movies. And even, and, and like, or someone like Robert Altman, who was like making like TV documentaries for years before he ever got to make a feature film. Those guys paid their dues and they earned their stripes and they learned the technical aspects of it. So they learned that, all right, this is just what we're doing. We're just, we're just going to get this done. This is not about how I feel. This is not about everybody's feelings. This is about just getting the job done. And I, I mean, as somebody, I'm going to have to write a pilot that has a lead character that has this as far away from me as possible. Cause any, any main character that's anything like me, I can't, cause it's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how the story ends. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah, some, you're too close to it. When a, a teacher once told me like, you can't analyze your life cause you don't know how it ends yet. Mm. And it's I good, thought that was an interesting, really, like you, you can analyze a story because you look at this, the, the, the way to analyze a play or a movie is look at the end and work backwards. But your life, you don't know how, you, how do I know if what I'm doing today is leading me or, or you know, is, is positively going towards something or, or taking me away from something else? Nobody knows how their life ends. Yeah. Have you seen a film called uh, Synecdoche, New York? Oh, my God. Yes. Dude. It sounds like he's describing the movie. It's right? funny because I'm a, well, I'm a big Charlie Coffin fan, for, but for whatever reason, I've, I've avoided that movie. Why? Maybe, maybe it, Probably maybe it because feels it's uncomfortable. literally what you're going through right yeah, now. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's about somebody who's trying to make this epic grand project about his life and it becomes so complex because he realizes that his life is is impossibly complex and he he realizes that if he casts people to play people he knows then he has to also cast people to play the people that yeah. are playing the people he knows etc it becomes it's crazy, this crazy like, dude it becomes this like um i mean it, it it's a very surreal movie yeah but honestly it i've watched it like five or six times yeah. and i still I don't know if I could verbalize how, how I understand the film. It's one of the best metaphors for um, these projects that are so dear to you and become a, so much about yourself and not being able to get out of that. It, it becomes like this endless downward it's, spiral. It, it's like a torture yeah. cycle kind of. Well, it's like, funny because he already did, started to do that in Adaptation. Exactly. Where he has the character But this is like that like to himself. another level. Yeah, this yeah. is like he made – it's almost like he realized something on Adaptation and then it <sighs> was like he had like some like – Epiphany, yeah, exactly, and that's an game. It's so funny so, that he like started as like a TV writer too. Like he was like writing on the Dana Carvey show, exactly. And, like yeah. all these like very like pedestrian kind of you wouldn't expect some like a heady guy like him to start with. But I I gotta go on this tangent with you. With is it Schenectady, S- New York? Sk- yeah, yeah, it's a place in New York. It actually is, right? Yeah, it's I, it's you, a play on words though, because uh, it's because it's not Schenectady. That's yeah. the real place. Schenectady is a word that means uh, a part for a whole. So like forest for the trees or trees for the forest, that kind of thing. That's what Schenectady means. So that's the 
that's the allegory that's kind of pushing the film forward. Basically. And but the actual place is Schenectady, yeah. New York. But wow, the word just happens to be. Did it's they get it wrong? It's just no, a very similar. No, I'm saying the, the play on words. When they named the the area, where they just they they just like pronounced it wrong. No, like, you know, it, different spelling. It just sounds very similar. Wow, you know what's funny about that town? One, it's though. where it's where Kurt Vonnegut is from, and I remember oh, guys, I, I, went through, I went author. through a phase where I was big in the Kurt Vonnegut. I, I, I still and am. also. Um, the movie The Place Beyond the Pines. That yeah, I've right, heard of it. So that, that, I think, Schenectady means The Place Beyond the Pines. Oh, wow. So that's why that movie that's has really, that that's name. That's even deeper because it's very a forest for the trees type uh, movie where it's about somebody who just can't see you know, the big picture even though that's all he wants I, to do. I bet he thought of that. Yeah. I bet he yeah. thought of both Yeah, movies. really brilliant guy. Dude, that movie, it, it, it kind of haunts me because it's so, it's so, it's, it's like too deep. You're like, yeah. like you can't possibly think he meant all of this, but then he, he did. You're just like, I never. I, I've watched analysis on it, and 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 it's got. It's taken me even deeper. It's kind of like when you find out a conspiracy theory that's like kind of true, or you're not sure yet, but these pieces start to fit together, and you kind of could lose your fucking mind. Like, like is reality real or not? Like you're just like freaking out. That this movie is like almost like that. Not you know, it's not um, literally that. It's literally a story about you know what you were talking about, trying to get this piece that's so close to you and trying to make it but never finishing it. And just, I just want to hear. So, uh, is that one of your favorite movies like of all time? I think it's his masterpiece. It I is. think it's Charlie Coffin's masterpiece I think for so sure. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite movies, and it's a movie I think about a lot yes. because. Like like what Peter just said, it just comes up um, like that that problem always comes up for for people, especially because like you know I talk to a lot of people that that make stuff. Sure. You know that's that's the people I know pretty yeah. much. It's the, it, those projects that are so dear to you and are so personal. It it's so hard to finish them. It's yeah. I'm obsessed as with the how hard it is to make anything, mm. and I want to know. Like I love to see people's like early crap work. Like Coppola is my absolute hero. I've, I had lunch with Coppola like, on this weird. I used to work in a restaurant and I was like a wine buyer, and I got he was like introducing one of his wines into the New York market. So I got to be with like seven people having lunch with Francis Ford Coppola. It was like one of the That's most amazing, unbelievable days of my life. But like, and I asked him a question, and he said he goes, uh, he goes, everybody watches those movies and goes, oh, isn't that great? But I watch those movies and I go. Look at what a hard time Francis had. Like all he thinks about is how difficult. Like he wanted to kill himself so many times. Yeah. What do you think about when you when you look back on something that took a long chunk of your life? Yeah, was even like, I, I think about it. So they released he did a, he did a movie called um, You're a Big Boy Now I think it's called and it was it might have been his first or second actual theatrical like directed movie and Rip Torn is in it and Rip Torn is amazing but the movie is. Crap! I went to go. See, it was like re-released for the first time ever, like a couple years ago. And I went to go see it in the, the in like one of those like art house theaters downtown. And not only is it crappy, it's like you can't get from there to The Godfather. Mm-hmm. So that's the most fascinating part is that within four or five years, somehow he went from that to The Godfather, and like that to me is is mind blowing that an artist can do that. And even you know. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, you can see early movies. I mean, Kubrick's first two films are, are garbage. And then out of nowhere, he does Pass of Glory. And then all of a sudden, you know, within a couple of years, he's doing 2001 A Space. It's, like, it's, it's unfathomable that 
that somebody could have that trajectory. But again, that's how that's why you can't analyze. If you analyzed Stanley Kubrick as a movie director, you know, three years into his career, you'd be like, "This guy, I don't see much of a future sure. for this guy." You know, yeah, sure. So I I love those kind of stories. Um, I I, I love the Coens, and they made. They were so blocked trying to make Miller's Crossing that they went and made Barton Fink while they were trying to figure out how to write the script for Miller's Crossing. And Barton Fink is a movie about a, a blocked writer yeah. in Hollywood. And, and that's another thing, too. Like, I, I mean, like, everyone loves, movie people love movies about making movies. So it's kind <laughs> right. of, it's kind that of, a, so true. It's kind of a <laughs> yeah. cheat in a way, but it's yeah. also like, it's something, it's romantic. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. we don't want to see, no one really wants to see a movie about how hard it is to be a plumber, but there's something romantic about. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, and I don't take that lightly. But like, there is something romantic about the, you know, a writer or like someone trying to make a movie. Yeah, you of know course. how many how many movies are about the or how many how many novels are about writer. You know, it's it's just one of those things that we we as a culture we romanticize the artist. Yeah. So we want to know that it's that it's a struggle, that it's hard, that it's you know, and but it's it's a little miracle every time something like that I think happens. It's a, yeah, I think it's a thing where. It's it's something very courageous. It's something that a lot of people wish they could have went down the path of. You know, a lot of people maybe they wanted to write that novel or make those movies, but they chose a safer life. Uh, they chose a nine to five. They chose something like that. So, it's it's something that people think of as maybe their alternate timeline version of themselves, where like yeah. this could have been my life had I gone down this path and. It's it's a weird dichotomy where there's something very courageous about, you know, being an artist, but it's it's packed into often a very uh feeble um yes. body. You know, it's yeah. not like if you're going to watch a courageous movie from like the 30s or the 40s, it's going to be about like a pirate or it's going to be about like, you know, it's going to be a war movie. It's mm-hmm. going to be this this archetype that you can't really you can be marveled by, but you can't really see yourself in. No. Um so, but like a writer, it's this thing that's just we we understand that it takes courage to say, "Fuck it, I'm just going to do the thing that I'm really truly passionate about." But it's packed in the into this like every man body usually, you know, it, it's packed into a body where you could see yourself as more than you could see yourself as like a superhero. Or yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I think I believe today is uh, Werner Herzog's birthday, so there's all these like. Twitter stuff about Happy him. birthday. And uh, yeah. they're showing, like, Fitzcarraldo, which is an amazing movie. And, like, he, Werner Herzog is one of those guys who's just like, I just want to, this is going to be difficult, and I'm going to do it, actually do it, and record it. So, like, in Fitzcarraldo, they drag a boat over a mountain. And he's like, the only way to do it is to actually, and I think he, there's, there's a quote where he's like, everyone should drag a boat over a mountain one time in their life. <laughs> and, like, the whole making of this movie was insane. But he's yeah. he is insane and it's incredible and it's like that to me that's like the mark of and you don't have to do that to to be an artist but any any endeavor like that anytime no like we were just like the world doesn't need another book or another movie so if you're gonna endeavor to make one of those things you better be willing to fucking drag that boat over the mountain otherwise why, why bother you know what i mean it's interesting to me well yeah and and you better you have to be willing to risk having to risk failure yeah. over and over again. And I think that that's even more of a deterrent to people who choose that nine to five job than, than, than the money aspect of it. I, yeah. I think that they think it's the money or they justify their decision by saying it's, it's the money. But I think truly the, um, 
the idea of failing over and over again or or if they do attempt it and then go to a nine to five job for sure they have experience with that feeling of just you know well i, don't, I mean i don't of, think we should not i think there's too many people who think they should be artists nowadays if anything i, I agree hold on though i i'm not throwing shade yeah. at nine to fivers i'm saying that is real the failing over and over again is what most people who try to be an artist will yeah. experience yeah but they but, won't succeed but everyone's been told it's, now that you got to be creative that, not necessarily everyone doesn't have to be creative yeah i'm there's not a, saying that there's at a great flannery yeah. o'connor is one of my favorite writers and there's a great essay where she she like gets asked like what would you do to like encourage young writers and she goes i think they should be as discouraged as possible because the real ones are going to do it anyway right. so why encourage somebody to that life you shouldn't have to be encouraged to be an artist yeah that's 100 but i think right now it's everyone's cre- everyone wants to be in a creative endeavor whether like they want to be creative if they're doing whatever office job they're doing it's like it's just it's like this buzzword now where everybody how about how about just getting the job done how about everything just like worked properly well yeah that blue collar mentality is like gone but that but it is but that's that that was a culture that really did exist but i think the internet kind of like has made its own culture and it's like it 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 kind of like it's hard to be a blue collar archetype when you know there are memes online but that is that is creative like i'm i'm helping my family build a house right now and it's the most creative thing i've ever done absolutely and it's and it's mentally exhausting because i'm constantly having to make decisions and i'm the ultimate authority at the house and I don't know – I know less than the guys who are asking me to make the decision on, at every turn. And it's funny because I – I mean I always go back to Coppola. He said that um, – I remember hearing him say that he always knows the, what the movie's about in one line because people are going to ask him a million questions and he wants to be able to come up with quick answers. So The Conversation was one of my favorite movies that he directed. Yeah, that's my favorite of his for I, sure. A, a fucking amazing movie. And they said you know, uh, Gene Hackman's character is going to wear a raincoat. What should the raincoat look like? And he goes, well, this movie is about spying on people and seeing people. See, get me a, a see-through raincoat. So he's, it's, kind of, it's weird because he's wearing a clear, translucent uh, raincoat. But then when you think about what the character is and what the movie is about, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And like, the genius of Coppola is to figure stuff like that out. Where he's just like, I just need to know. You know, The Godfather is about like the sins of the father visiting upon the son. So every decision in that movie is about the inevitability of, of what – the father did that leads to the fate of his sons. So when, once you understand what you're making that simply, you can make a three hour long epic movie and know that everything is kind of moving along correctly. And that's why I don't think there's any like false notes really in, in that, at least the first one and a half Godfathers. I have, I have issues with some of Godfather two, <laughs> let alone Godfather three. But hey, listen, we can't all be doing a plus work for our whole lives. Like give, I think every artist deserves a break when, you know, after a while you, you kind of you can stall out a little bit. So yeah, I, no, I certainly think we over compliment artists on good work and and over uh, criticize them on bad work. Oh, yeah. just as a as a society. Not well. They, I mean, you can get turned on so fast lately. Like I think it, right. people like to take ownership of it, it. Is almost like a mythology thing where it's like you you know you belong to me and so you hurt you hurt me. Dave Chappelle's new special hurt me. I don't I think. Well, that's like, a whole thing where I don't even think any of that's really real. But I, sure, sure. I people do get turned on. I, I just think that even let's say Chappelle put a special out and it just was mediocre. It was great, and regardless if you were offended by it or not, it was great. You know. But if let's say it was like eh, it was like bland, it wasn't good. We there com- comedy comedy critics would be so upset. They would like they would like. 
they would turn on them. You know, like it's like allow someone to make potentially not a great product. I mean, yeah. you have to be allowed to do that. You won't get great stuff if they don't if people don't take risks. Especially because a lot of the stuff that gets, you know, dogpiled on in the moment mm-hmm. ends up being something brilliant <laughs> later on where people realize, oh wait, that was actually really good. Absolutely. It was just ahead of its time. Yeah, it's hard to see capacity. something right at that time. It's it's so hard to create something worthwhile and also create something that will be a hit in the moment of now because by the time you create something worthwhile and for now people are going to be either moved they've moved on to something else or you created something a little too early it it, there's a sweet spot that like it's so hard to hit as an artist and it's very rare that you know we we can you know count pretty easily the times where like there's been these cultural events like star wars or whatever sure where maybe a couple years ahead or a couple years after people have been like eh you know it was it was okay 100%. you never know you never know yeah that's, you, that's how i feel about growing up Gotti. you guys know what growing up Gotti is it's a, a reality show it was a reality oh show God. about john Gotti's grandkids yeah and they were jersey shore before jersey oh, shore happened right. oh yeah and i'm, I'm they've got to be so pissed <laughs> because they were just a couple years too soon yeah. for the zeitgeist just like a, just a couple of guineas did they have like uh women on the show like, it was like, the, so the mom like, i feel like that's what put jersey the shore mom over. is victoria Gotti. she's john Gotti. Daughter. Oh, so even like Real Housewives. It's her sons. And it's funny because like I'm from Jersey and it's funny what Brooklyn has become because their hairstyle, which is like the spiked hair, sure. very tight, tight on the shy, and then the pointed um, uh, sideburns, that was called a brook for a Brooklyn at that time. Oh, I never, so that's I never like heard so that. you ask anybody in Brooklyn that's definitely not a Brooklyn now. Like that's not what mm. a Brooklyn looks like, but that was like the old school like Italian like quote unquote Brooklyn look at that time period like and it was like it was a it was a phenomenon but they totally were you know five years too soon mm. they've got to be kicking themselves right yeah. now well yeah no it, it is you could there's that's a perfect timing thing star wars that's a good great example of that uh harry potter probably is another one yeah even on a lord of the rings in some communities is is like kind of a the same wave or same time frame as Harry Potter, where it just like struck a chord. Where Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, yeah. absolutely, because there have been shows probably as good as Game of Thrones or whatever. You know, I'm not even a huge fan of Game of Thrones, so I, I'm not going to speak as an authority. But it, 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 it's more than just the quality of the show or the piece of art. It's the timing. It's the who's who's. Uh, Who's who's like alive at the time? What's happening in the world at the time? That's a that's a whole well, that's thing, why, and that's why like it. a lot of popular, when you're writing it, you yeah. you don't you don't know what's going to be happening. A lot of popular yeah. art. That's why it gets is so dated. One of the most interesting things that we've found doing this podcast is the movies that are don't date. Is the movies that actually are maybe even with twenty or thirty years are even better than they would have been considered at the time. And that's I mean that's always interesting because you don't really expect that a lot of times. And there's a lot of this stuff because I think at the end of the day it's. It's story. It's either the story resonates or it doesn't. Who cares if they have a fucking cell phone or not? Like that's not going to matter. I so I, I opened up a there's a there's a writer who I like I just like know her in passing, and I opened up her new book. It was like on a display table at Barnes and Noble, and like the sometimes I read like the first line of a book, and I'll know whether or not I want to read the book. Oh yeah. And I opened the book, and in the first line, she said it said something about turning off their iPhone alarm. And I'm like, why would you – like that's so 
to this time. You know what I mean? All right, maybe, yeah. maybe color a little slack, dude. No, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, why not just say, like, turn off the... It doesn't mean it's a bad al- book, you No, but I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, like, alarm, like, why not just say alarm clock? It, like, it totally took me out of it. <laughs> I am. I get your point. I just loved... I enjoyed it thoroughly to shit all over it in that <laughs> I moment. Don't, I don't give a fuck. Uh, you know yeah, what? You, you, do. you remind me... Are you a Shane Carruth fan? Do you um, know... It's weird. I go back and forth on him because I, I watched a little bit of Mutate, and it kind of reminded me in that like doing sci-fi with no money, yeah, and where it, it has to be in the ideas and in the story. It can't be in the effects or absolutely because he, you don't have a budget to do that kind of stuff. He and I, I mean, we have very similar instincts, like because yeah. he also like composes the music and exactly, like, yeah. yeah. And just to clarify, Mute, Mute Date is a film that you made yeah it's yes. on amazon prime right now you can watch it for free on there and oh really if you have a that's prime the one account. that anthony Kaffer. yeah that's started. okay yeah yeah uh, we're all talking of our about yeah all of our mutual friend anthony Kaffer <laughs> is, is the star of the movie and i wrote it i wrote the role specifically for him because for you know 10 years of knowing him he's always been like write me a movie write me a movie <laughs> and it's like he so would do that. i just never had an idea for him and then one day i had an idea absolutely for him to the point that like i wouldn't probably wouldn't even made the movie uh without him him. yeah yeah um yeah it was just a it was a part that was just tailored for him and the film's called mute date which is kind of a play on blind date you know like the idea of somebody two people meeting for the first time everybody's familiar with um but in this instance they're beta testing this new technology where they can speak telepathically to one another so it's two people that don't know each other going on this blind date as a beta test for this new uh, product essentially and i fucking just, love that premise it man. goes so terribly wrong in a lot of the ways where you know people can relate to social media bannings and censorship and all that stuff so it, it's it's that sort of story that's that's kind of relevant in that way um and yeah my i would say shane carruth people that are into um him or or a lot of like stuff like maybe black mirror or whatever would probably yeah. respond to it um but yeah shane carruth you know he he did a movie called primer um which a lot of people you know, saw at the time um no i've never heard of this guy it, yeah it's a time travel movie that he made for seven grand and wow. this, was, this was around like early 2000s i would say oh even back yeah then? He, yeah uh it, it's, it's got to be at least 12 years old maybe yeah 15 years he's, old and like he's he's i think he was an engineer so it, it's very engineer minded like he yeah, he approaches it like a scientist, not an artist, which is an interesting exactly. way to start oh, as a filmmaker. Yes. Yeah, so, and also in the movie, everybody kind of talks like engineers. They don't talk like movie stars. They talk mm. in a very uh, kind of wooden, but accurate to to how engineers are. Exactly. One hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very it's a it's got an odd vibe to it because you're not used to people talking like that, and you're not used to a time travel movie that isn't. Uh, doesn't have all these like sprinkles on it of like oh i'm going back and i'm saving my parents from like making mistakes and like all this all this stuff it's oh i want to have sex with my mom (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's very like weirdest movie of all time it's it's just like really intelligent guys sitting around like kind of discussing what they're about to do and then doing it and it backfiring or or whatever the the time machine is in like a storage locker right like it's which i loved i love so they keep going (laughs) they're constantly like filming inside like the storage locker Uh, again which is like really cheap thing to do in like his house but that's an interesting setting yeah yeah so yeah. i found i didn't know i didn't know primer he did a movie called upstream color which right. came out a couple yeah. years ago and i'd heard about it and i read it i was like this sounds like it's straight up my alley so i went to go see it and so upstream color also like a movie about um like parasites that control your mind and like and it's also but it's really about like 
if you didn't have a, any memory, which part of you is you? Mm. So how much of who you are as a person is your memory of all, your whole your of whole who life? You are, so yeah. these two people who have had their memories erased meet each other and fall in love. So they're both they're falling in love at the same time that they're discovering who they really are. It's it's fucking heady. Wow, that is and really it's cool. brilliant. Yeah. And Shane Carruth wrote the score, wrote the script, stars in it, and and directed it and. It's incredible. So when I saw Upstream Color, I was like, I need to know everything about this guy. And so then I found out. I found Primer. So he made Primer like for seven grand on a lark. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets, I think it won Sundance. Yeah, I believe so. And the, this, again, this is one of my favorite like showbiz stories. So he's the hot guy at Sundance. And, and David Fincher and Steven Soderbergh, all these guys are like, we're going to make you one of the top directors in Hollywood. And he starts having all these meetings. And he goes, he goes this is how Hollywood works. He goes, you have a meeting. They're like, I think we can get you $10 million. And then you have another meeting. And they're like, I think we can get you 20. And then you have another meeting. They're like, you know what? They're going to give you 30 million. He goes, and then they just stop calling you. <laughs> no one says anything. That's no a good one, joke for him, by It's the like way. literally, yeah. it's like it just, it, you never hear anything ever again. Yeah, yeah. So he disappeared for like nine years. And then out of nowhere, he just drops this movie that he created. He goes, there's no Hollywood movie money in this movie at all. So I, I took my money and made this movie and he got it like released. He scored it, everything. And and it's funny because now he's for years he's been trying to make another movie that's mm-hmm. a big Hollywood movie and it just keeps not happening. Yeah, and I don't. He's like one of the, and he, for a while he was trying to make another movie that didn't get made and then he made Upstream Color instead. But like just one of these like brilliant like interesting like character. I think he lives in Brooklyn too. I think I remember reading a story where he like hangs out in like Bushwick and like goes to the supermarket at, late at night when he can't sleep. I'm Jesus, like, dude, relax I'm, with I'm your like a, fandom. I'm You're obsessed, with, I'm all obsessed over him. with this guy. Yeah, Jesus. Wait, what is, is, is that what standing means? Yes. I thought it was when you dress like the person. No, no, no. <laughs> Why do you think that? Because <laughs> in the Eminem, in the music video, the guy looks like Eminem. Well, I mean, that could be part of it. That's one aspect. Yeah, oh, I didn't, oh, so it's like, like if you go real deep in. Oh, is that yeah. just like being obsessed with somebody yeah, and knowing yeah. anything about just, them? It's become being a, an obsessed fan. Oh, that's the idea. The, the meme is Stan, the music video, and and yeah, yeah. And, and the song, but it's 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 yeah. Now it's become anyone that if you're standing over someone, you know this weird. Fact I don't know about where him. he is right now. Yeah, well, I, I, well, that's because you're not checking your phone. I'm yeah. just saying that I've read some stuff and it was interesting. Yeah, no, I know. I'm not actively standing. I I stand for a little while and then I move on and I just remember the stuff that I stand before. Am no, I using that's, that word correctly? That's healthy. I definitely go through periods of that where like I'll be obsessed with somebody's filmography. And then I'll just move on to something. That's else. true. Yes. That's yeah. true. I think in anything, especially in the in the art form that you're pursuing, you fall into these like, wow, this guy really nailed it. Holy shit, he has everything. And then you're like fascinated with him. And then you go through a period where you're like, all right, I'm not going to really listen to that guy anymore too much because it's it's informing my process too much. Yeah, it's you know? like if, if you're writing jokes. Exactly. You hear somebody and you're like, I've never heard jokes like that. Yes. And then you start hearing jokes in your head that are like that. And you're like, yeah. well, I can't use that. Right. And like it, you kind of have to have this like hard breakup in your brain where you're like, I, I yes. need to stop listening to Hedberg or whoever yep. else, you know. Yeah, yeah 100%, yeah. dude. 100%. With, with film, I usually... The way that I avoid that is I will, um, I'll really, I'll key into things that just nobody else would ever key into just because I've seen so much stuff that like, it's hard to impress me in like a huge way. Mm -hmm. People usually are, if they're making a movie, they're going to impress me in this very small way where I'll get some tiny thing that nobody else is going to get from it. Mm. So like, uh, you know, any example, Um, I guess one example would be like, you know, a, a, a transition 
that nobody's using. Ah. Like like uh, in Star Wars, there are a lot of these wipes, which mm-hmm. are where it just like kind of, it's like a yeah, it's 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 got like slightly a blurry edge. Usually, he took it, that from Kurosawa. Exactly. Nobody does wipes. Okay, yeah. wipes are so useful. I haven't particularly found a use for it in my films yet, but I have that in my back pocket. There you go. And I will use it when it needs to be used. And a lot of people will never even consider using a wipe. Right. So it's it's small things like that that I'll key into. You you basically you're trying to build your like your toolbox of like maybe there's a tool in there that you use every single time, like a hammer, mm-hmm. which is great. You need a hammer. Right. But you also have these little specialty tools that you'll use like once or twice in your life, but will save you in the editing room. Yes. so tremendously yes. like oh make, man make white just thing. changed the whole yeah, exactly well, yeah. and i think w- one of the things that's w- what's dull about a, a lot of these big movies that are coming out now is not just that they're big and they're expensive and they're, it's that they're not doing creative stuff like yeah. doing like there's and there's so many simple things you they're can do they're not taking chances yeah with with like yeah. the music or the editing or the way that you know it's just, there's a lot of generic there's there was a great youtube channel called every frame a painting Mm-hmm. And he di- every video was uh, had a different topic, and one of them would be on. Um, it's hard to like something like the, uh, the way that the Coens like edit a scene together, and then it would be another one on Kurosawa's use of like movement in 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 the frame. And he he did the last video he did was about how generic and boring the music was in Marvel movies, mm-hmm. and you never heard from this guy again. I think Marvel like went after him. <laughs> But it's it's true. Like you, I mean, why not? I mean, one of the things that's it's so true, interesting right? about you know, like look, think about like all those John Williams scores. Like you didn't need to have Superman have an amazing score, but we all know that fucking score. I can't I can't think of one interesting you know thing musically no, of that, any of these any the, of these movies. The one song I really dug, um, and I, I I should remember, but I I can't remember because it was it was the one superhero song I really dug in like the last maybe decade or whatever. Um, other than actually, I like the Eminem Venom song. I, oh. It gets stuck in my head like all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's such I, a dumb I song. Seen, I haven't seen that movie. I liked Venom. Venom's Venom's definitely a throwback to like maybe Blade era superhero movies. Yeah. It, it's got kind of that like cheap whatever. But anyway, sure, <laughs> Venom's good, guys. Um, <laughs> the the song that I really liked was, um, and it's not a good movie. The Batman versus Superman movie. Right. The fanfare kind of song for Wonder Woman is so good. It's it's like I can defend that like a John Williams score, like a, anything else. It's just a really great piece of music. It's a melody that's just tremendous. Um, that that's really interesting, and that's part of what you were saying before. Like you take one small thing yeah. that maybe no one else would see and say, "Oh, I'm you know that that was great. I might use something like that." And in that's the future. A, that's one of the great things about YouTube that I found is like. I'll I'll have that reaction where I'll be like, oh man, I gotta look up that Wonder Woman song, and then you look in the comments and it's a bunch of people like, man, this song is really good. Yeah, I can't, yeah. there's I people can't, out there. Yeah, exactly. It's all people like me that just like went down that same <laughs> rabbit hole. I love seeing that like trail. Me too. Of me too. Very small in, details, and you're and you're yeah. like, oh, I'm not like alone. And yeah. without like YouTube or whatever, you sometimes there is good things to social media. You would never know that there's other people that yeah. are noticing but it was, these small things. It, I mean, that Wonder Woman. Thing, Thing came from somebody like just deciding randomly i'm gonna make something actually good yeah <laughs> you know which there's no pressure to do that on these big movies because no. people are going to come see them anyway i've found that a lot of the most ingenuity you see in film particularly is in genres where you're given a small budget and whatever movie you make 
with that within that budget we're just gonna let you do whatever you want to do like in certain action movies where they're just or horror movies where they're like we're giving you five million dollars to do whatever because we're gonna make we're gonna make our big nut on it no matter what mm-hmm. um the bigger the budget the more people are breathing down your neck yes the more people that have never had a cre- creative idea in their in their entire lifetime are telling you exactly what to do with the creative the, thing that you're trying to do you nailed it that's the and that's the dis- yeah. destruction of any project so like, i think yeah a bunch so of those people i think <laughs> movies like punisher you know this is a little bit closer to some of these singular vision than anything we're used to in superhero movies uh, modern yeah. definitely absolutely i would agree, I would agree. And, and the I other was, the other good go punisher movie is that again punisher Warzone. nobody cared about they they let uh lexi alexander who's the filmmaker who made it do basically just what she wanted they didn't breathe down her neck because nobody nobody was expecting it to be relaunch punisher may be this huge thing where it's a tentpole movie it was just like eh, we have people that kind of like that first punisher let's just do another one if we spend this amount we were guaranteed to make this amount afterwards so just give it to her and let's all just focus on the big movies instead and let her do whatever she wants so that that middle Punisher movie with Thomas Jane and I think John Travolta is horrible because they were trying so hard. The studios were trying so hard to make this like franchisable movie with that. It's terrible. Yeah. But then the one after that, the Punisher Warzone, it's just like just like this old. Uh, I mean, it's better, but just like the 1989 one, nobody's breathing down anybody's necks. It's just like leave them alone, let them make the movie because we're going to make our money anyway. So whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a running theme in this in this episode of just like the almost like less is more, or like just um, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of a singular vision from coming out, and a lot of times just avoiding those traps is yeah. the biggest hurdle to get over. More money, creating. more problems. Yeah, but it's also like saying goes true. You know, art is collaborative, but there is there has to be the one guy making the decisions, yeah. and it's usually like. It's very rare. I heard, I heard somebody say like the talent is in the choices. Right. So you know, a, like a a Coppola or whoever can't you know operate the camera and he can't do the acting himself, but he's the one choosing what what the stuff should be, and that that's what makes a, a great film or not. Yeah, is the person who's making those decisions. And any any movie that comes out, there's a million different takes usually on any of the any one of the lines, and so. You can cut the worst movie possible out of the best movie possible just by choosing all the bad takes and and everything else. Um, and I think people people underrate the choosing skill set. Yeah, yeah. You know? And people under underrate editors Absolutely. across the board. Yeah. And editing yeah. isn't um, just in any art form. It isn't it. just uh, cutting no. scenes no, out. No, no, it's no. deciding how the scenes fit together yeah and, and how and more than that how long how long the yeah. scenes are you know where where the cuts are what it's there's so much to like more and more i'm getting interested in like the cinematography aspect and the editing aspect of film i was just looking at um uh the movie sicario mm-hmm. which is eh, there's some stuff that's great and some stuff not so great but there's a scene where john bernthal who became the punisher he uh you know he attacks the main character emily blunt and just that the whole the whole segment where he's in it, just the way everything is shot and the way the camera, the way the audience is let in on what's happening, where the camera is, the way this, all the visual storytelling in just that segment 
is unfucking believable. Like it's such amazing like visual storytelling. Yeah. And it's 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 just like a little chunk in the middle right. of, of the movie. And I just noticed it because I had seen the movie already five times. And I just happened to like notice. I just remember it kind of gets – and that's another thing too. It's like this stuff with um, – it, it, it hits your subconscious in a way. When yeah. a movie is like Oftentimes edited – Oftentimes the and, first time you yeah, see it. When yeah. a movie is like shot and, and edited in an interesting way, you're not conscious of what's going on. It's a feeling that the movie gives you. Yeah. And that's what, like, that's what I think. That's what great filmmaking is. It's like you're not, you're not going. Oh wow, I, that felt wonderful. That was a great experience of, you know, technical brilliance that I just watched. You know, it, it's like when someone says like, oh, that actor gave a great performance. It's like no, you don't want to. You want to think it's really the guy. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's actually yeah, it's so true. That's yeah. a Dave David Mamet used to always say that about acting. He says people always award acting that they go, wow, that's such great acting. But if you're thinking, like you said, if you're thinking about the acting, you're taken out of the movie. And if you're taken out of the movie, then they didn't How necessarily great the do acting? their job. Yeah. It's very hard for you know faces like De Niro, Pacino, yeah. that are so ingrained in our mind. It's very hard to um, forget that you're looking at them. I always it's so hard. I always yeah. think about like De Niro um, and like at this point, how hard it must be for because he must be aware of that like yeah. he knows he's robert de niro well, also like, so it's just it becomes like a cameo of yourself it's just this he, weird I mean, he did he, he did his time and again it's like you don't expect somebody working in office to be at their peak performance 40 years into the job so like i i'm i give him like it's okay because what he did do was great but like when you, if you go back and watch like mean streets and stuff he was a complete unknown and then in, in a year later he does you know godfather 2 and it's so interesting what he's doing, but it's it's also interesting too because, again, the way we were talking about people being like so obsessed with like learning about actors and movie and artists in a way that they don't care about other professions. Everyone like p- they talk about method and Marlon Brando and De Niro, and I've heard other people say it's like a lot of what we think of as method acting are just the quirks of Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro. Mm. So a lot of the stuff that you think like oh my god De Niro was so brilliant in that movie, he's just being Robert De Niro. Right. Like that's just his own personality quirks, and you're like, oh, that must be the secret. And so that's why those are those are the the performers that then create a lot of bad copycats. Yeah, because people mimic those. Yeah, because they think like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Robert I'm De Niro. Sure you did. see that in stand up a lot. Yes. Oh my all god, the all the time. time. We said that one time. It's like Patrice O'Neill and Louis C.K. are the two best comics that created so many terrible comics. <laughs> well, and now, well, you say that all the time, and now, and I agree with that though. And now you see even like comics that aren't even as big as them that that people in Brooklyn or around the scene like guys like on our level like there's so many Mark Norman mimics out there. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of guys yeah. right now doing hey hey ah exactly oh, comedy. Yeah. There's so much of that, and some of them are really good, and they don't even really realize they're doing it. But like there's all you go to an open mic and you'll see like five Mark. Well, Norman. that's why like the it's hardest crazy. the hardest thing is the sense, and that that means that's actually a testament to Mark Norman. Yeah, because he's being because he's, he's being Mark his Norman. His works are getting emulated, yeah. which is always a gr- good sign. That's yeah. the hardest thing I think is, same a, thing, is though, a sense of ease. I'm sorry to cut you off, yeah. but same thing with like all right, Amy Schumer. The amount of fucking flack she gets is kind of crazy. Look, I get that like her recent specials haven't been amazing, but listen to the album Cutting on whatever service you use, Pandora, Spotify. It's a really good stand-up album. It's her first album. She's like six years into comedy. Go ahead and make it better. I you were going to say she's six years old. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, she's, she's six years into comedy at this at this point. Go ahead and try and make a better comedy album uh, than that, and, and then you could criticize her. If you could do that, fine. Well, again, but, but hold on. Yeah. Her quirks in that album are her talking about 
her vagina and whatever, her period being kind of gross. And then a thousand female stand-ups saw how good that was and tried to emulate it and ran it into the ground. And yeah. now it's like this trope where it's like my vagina, blah, blah, blah. And you almost have to get over that if you're a female stand-up to not be that, to be, mm. a, to be the, so the opposite of that, that that's, that's who the industry is trying to prop up now. So it's like – it's interesting that – it worked for her. It was her quirks, but then the emulation of it is so gross. It's yeah. so well, bad. It yeah. was. It was. She was. She looks like you know a middle class blonde haired girl from Long Island, and so it was shocking when she did it. But the shock is gone now. If everybody's doing the same right. thing, there's no. There's and no. That's there's not no, her fault. No, she, it, it, it clicked when she, when she did it. It was not. It was novelty. It's yes. not. It's not a novelty anymore. Yes. Um. So that. But that's in filmmaking too. Like you were saying. Like like these these. These, if you take a film class, great. I'm sure you need the test. Those are that's probably great for the technical aspects. But if you're studying one film, don't you think that that might like? I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker, but maybe you'll get caught up in the quirks of that film and think that that's meaningful, and then yeah. you know yeah. not learn from that. Like actually go backwards. Yeah, I think I think one of the big mistakes of film school in general is that you study the best, quote unquote, the best films. And I've learned more lessons from bad movies. Yes. Absolutely. Because I'll, I'll see something bad and I want to know why it's bad. And I'll think about it for a second. I'll be like, holy shit. That's why it, that, the, the camera wasn't in the right place. Or that's why the scene is, is a little bit off or whatever. And I'm not as in. You just kind of like, you figure out what went wrong. That's and, great advice to any yeah. artist listening. That It's so true. If you, in stand up too, man, if, if you see it, someone bombing but you are able to figure out in the moment why they're bombing yes. you won't do that thing i had an it's experience like that watching yeah. stand up pretty recently the last couple of weeks or so live yeah Good. i saw yeah, yeah. i saw somebody doing crowd work to people <laughs> they were referencing people in the crowd that nobody else in the crowd could see whatsoever mm-hmm. and they were they, in the words that they were choosing there was no visual component to the words yes so we couldn't we didn't know what was being seen and it wasn't working and the stand-up wasn't realizing that it was because nobody knew what the fuck you were talking about because they couldn't see the people exactly you weren't describing the people whatsoever there was nothing there yeah and it just it was dying for most of the audience that couldn't see the actual people for the people that saw the people and it the was people funny that were them. the people it was funny yeah and the vast majority of the audience is just not yeah. connecting to it and the comedian did not realize it whatsoever it was wow. just the layout of the room sure i'm sure it would have worked in another room where everybody was more visible sure but that was the it, it was the exact reason why it wasn't working wow and they just weren't they weren't picking up on it and maybe they never will just because they maybe it was a room they never worked before yeah. i don't yeah. know no 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 that is it's interesting especially coming from someone you know like a non comic for it to click like that for you is very very uh like that's really cool to, to hear because that's i've 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 seen that happen i've done that myself a hundred times where it's like why aren't they get, and and it's like I'm, oh, yeah, I'm facing everyone. It's, like, really simple, but yeah. you forget. You're yeah. like, I'm seeing – I have a very different experience right now <laughs> than the entire audience. Yeah, to like, me, it's not like watching a bomb, but, like, if you see somebody who has, like, some good jokes, but, sure. like, overall the set doesn't work. Why? Or they get yeah. into the weeds. Yes. Or they're, like, too obsessed with the structure of their jokes, but they're not engaging with you. Like, there's a lot of you're little right. things it's you can see. It's not a bad comic that you're yeah, going to learn It's more from. interesting to see somebody who has potential that, that hasn't quite mistakes. reached it yet. Yes. And you're like, oh, oh. Or like, oh, I would have thrown that bit out. Or like, clearly, eight minutes on this is not 
You know what the also yes. You know what also clicks is when you've made that mistake but didn't realize it until you see another person I'm make like, the same, and you're like, that, that's me when I I'm, did that, and then you <laughs> never do it again. Yeah, yeah, I'm constantly like, I don't ever want to do that again. But, but, but that's the thing. You almost it's it's this weird thing with humanity where like. I don't know why this is true, but it seems to be true for almost everybody. When you recognize yourself in someone else, it's like gross. You know? <laughs> am I am I fucked up? Should I write a bit about this? Because I feel like everyone feels like this, but maybe it's just me. When I like see myself in someone else, it's generally I'm like cringed a little bit. I'm like, oh. I think that's like, is that in Jung? It might be a It's something thing. that's like a therapy thing where it's like whatever makes Carl you Young? angry about the other person is something that you're upset with. Well, I, I see that with criticisms that my films will get. Like, or I mean? can just read the self loathing in it. I'm yes. like, wow, the amount of hate that I'm receiving is so not proportional to whatever they're complaining about <laughs> me doing. Like, it just makes no sense. And then you realize it's just like, whatever whatever problems they had that caused them to not create something or or not create something well or whatever it's just all being like vomited at me or whatever yeah there's a lot of i this is the movie i wish the filmmaker would have made it's a lot of it's like what like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you're not the film yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's such a uh, it's such a and i'm sure this is similar for comedians too where like if if a comedian like, like I, I, I've done a little bit of comedy. I oh, should, okay. You know, you referred to me as non. I'm sorry. I, I have I done. Didn't mean to I've you. done some comedy. No, it's fine. Um, yeah. But like at an open mic uh-huh. where nobody really wants to laugh or oh, whatever. If you get, if you can hear a genuine laugh out of somebody, because these are your peers usually. They're just waiting to go on. They're just doing their thing in their head over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. If you can get them out of that and like actually be like, oh my god, that was actually really funny. That's that's such a. Uh, it's, a, it's such a sign that you're onto something with a particular joke or whatever. Yes. And so whenever any moment like that where I can um, like please a filmmaker friend of mine who is not actually I shouldn't say friend of mine, but somebody who has no reason to like what I'm doing because they'll feel in some way that if my success is going to take away from the success of their film Famine that they're thinking. making. Yeah, exactly. Um Anytime where they can be like, man, they even, man, that was really fucking good. Right. Or even yeah. they know the tricks of the trade. They're yeah. a filmmaker. So it's like, it's like it's pleasing an added a, another bonus. magician. Like, exactly. With a magic trick. Yeah. It's impressing it's another that magician. sort of thing. Right. If I can, and it, those are rare times, you know. True. Most of, a, of an artist's career is, is pleasing people that, that have no idea what the magic, uh, how the magic's done in any capacity. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, comedians are notoriously bad laughers. Like they don't bet, laugh. Yeah. They don't laugh. And and I I'm an easy laugh for a comic. I'm always in the back of the room giving it up because I I love comedy. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think genuinely a lot of people that do the art, whatever it is, they they kind of get a little sick of it uh, after a while. Like they don't they don't. I I know a lot of comics that don't watch specials. It's just a thing, you know. They they they. Yeah. they I, I felt it myself a little bit because I was an obsessed comedy fan before I started doing it. And then, you know, a couple of years in, you're just like, oh, I've only watched probably one special this year. Mm. And, you know, years ago, I, I would have watched everything that came out, even the things I didn't like. You almost have to force yourself to do it. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. That's different with films, though, because you're going you're gonna to keep watching films. Filmmakers don't stop watching films. Yeah, right? not as many yeah. new ones, though. You know, not, uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to watch everything that comes out right okay some stuff i'll wait on sometimes i'll 
you know, wait till something comes out. Like I, I rent movies from the library a lot because it's like a free video store where you can you people can don't rent, use it enough. Yeah, yeah. you can rent yeah. ten DVDs at a time for free. It's, it's unreal. It's, you can renew them online. It's crazy. The library is so good that and nobody cares. Yeah, it's so it's like, interesting. Most movies that come out in a particular year, I'll watch them a year later, renting them from the library or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I always look for old stuff that I missed, like really old stuff that I missed mm. because. There are entire movements of film that I just haven't explored because I haven't had the time that I would probably gain something from. You know, I, I'm pretty well versed. I'm probably more well versed with periods of film than a lot of people. But there are people that put me to shame, you know. I'm absolutely. Sure. Like, There's always someone. Oh, my God. Always right. somebody who's more a student of comedy, film, yes. whatever, than, than you'll ever be. Yeah. But you got you to gotta see what came before. If not to... Because sometimes you want to emulate something that's forgotten, like a piece of art that's just forgotten. You want to, you don't want it to be forgotten, and you're never in a million years going to get somebody to sit down and watch the movie from like 1910 or something, right? Um, and and understand the brilliance of a particular shot or whatever. And if you can do that shot in your film, then maybe they'll key into it. Perfect example is uh, my film Mute Date. It's very, it's basically an Eric Romer film, which is a, a French filmmaker who. Some people like, but a lot of people don't know. Chloe in the Afternoon, is that yes, Romer? Yeah. Yes, that's, that's one of his best movies. Um, and so Mute Date is me doing an Eric Romer sci-fi film. And anybody watch, who likes Eric Romer movies and sits in front of Mute Date, they're going to be like, oh my God, that's what he's doing. Yeah, they um, would get it. Yeah, they would get it. But I'm not going to get people to sit down and watch an Eric Romer film, but I can probably get people to sit down and watch something that's fairly relevant to now, like Mute Date. Um so I, you know, I, I emulate a little bit like you can't you can't point to any shot that I'm stealing from an Eric Romer movie, but I'm using the same uh, philosophy towards my shot choices. Assume, mm. yeah. If that makes any sense. I, no, it I, does. I yes. was I was getting into it with my lady friend the other day because I was watching Shane, which is an old Western. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what year was this made? I wasn't even born. I'm like. What do you think happened the year that you were born that suddenly film took on another? Yeah. Like, who cares what year you were born? I, I, I don't understand this upset. When people are like, oh my God, that came out in 98? Like, that's so long. I'm like, that's not an old, like, that's what an old movie is to people now. Movies that came out in the 90s. I'm like, what, is, yeah, what is your, what does your birth have to do with the art form? Nothing I can't, ima- ever, I can't imagine yeah. only watch, I mean, I watch almost nothing that comes out today. Like, there has to be, like, I was excited about. I mean, I got to see the new Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see the Irishman just because more so for Joe Pesci than anything else. Because I'm excited that Joe yeah. Pesci. Also, in a we movie. know a few people in the Irishman. Oh, there's a, yeah, there's a wait. Jeffrey Paul, comedian. Oh, that's he's right. In it. I he's forgot in it. Jim that he's Norton's in it. in it. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Sebastian uh, uh, Sebastian's in it. Yeah, there's a bunch of comedians. in the um, movie. It's weird. I mean, I think Scorsese. Scorsese funnier. loves comedians. Well, he's fun. His movies are funnier than a lot of. And he lo- yeah. he just wanted to give comedians roles. I think honestly. Um, but yeah, there's you know there's certain the new Ad Astro the new Brad Pitt because it's James Gray who's one of my favorite directors mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt's kind of like taking him under his Brad his Pitt's win. so fucking good and I, and I honestly think that he gets maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong because you're a filmmaker here but I feel like he doesn't get the sort of like oh he's an artist actor because he's like so hand he's so hot he's whatever made you know a lot of like movies he's sort of possible. like a male bimbo almost he, he but like and, he's and DiCaprio had the same problem for a lot of times yes they're, they're tremendous actors but all anyone sees is the pretty face right and so it's a lot to overcome you know if it you is. have a face with a lot of character um, that maybe isn't as pretty you can do a lot more and you can and you can be about the craft a bit more yeah and, yeah. But like, yeah, him and DiCaprio. It's funny that they ended up together yeah. in in this movie just recently because 
they had a very similar, uh, you know, uh, um, thing to overcome for sure. Hundred percent. And they also both did growing pains in the eighties. Oh really? Oh really? Yeah. I didn't know both well, of them. Well, I mean, Leo. By the way, that's like, Peter's personality in a factory. Right there. <laughs> he just comes up. He just brings you a real thing that is. True, I was watching an episode of Growing Pains, and 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 Brad Pitt was the the boyfriend for that episode of mm. the of the sister. Mm. Uh, we should wrap up, but you, yes. uh, I want you to what what do you want to plug? People can find your movies. More information about. Yeah, how you. do they get to the movies? Like, obviously, they they type the title in, but is there any anywhere like do you have a website? Do you have some sort of? Yeah, people. I mean, people can go to codyclark.com with an e at the end. So uh, Clark spelled with a C or a K. Sorry. C L A R K E. Perfect. Um, and C O D Y. Um, but yeah, my I have three films on Prime right now, which. I've made seven total. Six are available in some capacities. The seventh one I just submitted to festivals and it's coming out next year. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, people can watch my movies on there. If you like them, definitely review them because... Is that that helps you? Yeah. I mean, some of my movies got taken down just because I didn't realize how much that mattered. <laughs> so like movies that friends of mine like adored, I just never was like, oh, write a review because like, I was like, eh, it probably doesn't matter. But yeah. they got taken down because like, if you're if you're a small you know sure. film or whatever they're not, they're never gonna take down like a movie like Us like Jordan Peele's Us which has like three and a half like star uh, average because people either love that movie or they thought it was crappy or they thought it wasn't as good as Get Out or whatever sure they'll never take that down in a million years or or like the Beach Bum the Harmony Korine film from the the Matthew McConaughey any of these big movies that are polarizing they'll mm. never take down in a million years. But they will take down in a heartbeat any smaller film that that dips down. I had one that was at four star average, which I figured, oh, that's that's, that's good. pretty fucking good. It got taken down because they said, oh, people aren't liking it or whatever. Four stars out of five. Yeah, that's exactly. That's it, ridiculous. It's insane. Everything's it's insane. in the algorithm. This is why it kills me when people come up to me and are like, oh, I really like that thing you wrote on Facebook. It's like, how about you <laughs> like it? Tell me exactly. on the internet. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's I like mean, I don't exist. Particularly with Amazon, you're going to get a lot more one stars and you'll get a five get five stars because people that are passionate about something negatively they will they want to one star they're gonna go out of their way to one star human nature people that like something they're riding the high of liking it and they're like oh man that was so good and then a couple days later they're not gonna they're not gonna review it it's like how many people are yeah want to be like i love this so much i gotta i gotta review it now like you don't you're not thinking about that yeah Yeah. but yeah no so all right so uh amazon prime is where the movies are cody Mm -hmm. clark um that's you got your website uh social media anything or do yeah you not uh care? at cody clark on twitter i'm usually saying like film stuff like, like if you liked anything i said today <laughs> i usually come out with like one or two of those every day so oh, nice people dude, yeah. can uh can check me out on there for sure hell yeah dude you should have you ever thought about doing a youtube channel or something I've, I, that's how i started out actually is oh okay i um i did a lot of like youtube comedy shorts uh, when i was just learning cameras and learning how to make yeah. films and stuff it was the easiest and fun funnest way to learn how to do anything technical because like i would come out with s- just silly things that would entertain me and my friends but yeah. like low-key i was learning editing or i was learning camera moves whatever um yeah and so yeah that's how i started out um and i had a film podcast for many years um but oh, really? it's all ju- it's all just stuff i'll get back into eventually i've just been down this rabbit hole of you're fucking making films right now man exactly yeah you're doing you never, those- you never want to lose momentum because then like 
you atrophy like crazy or whatever. It's crazy how so, that happens for sure. Yeah. So I've just been on this like I got to crank out films. I got to crank out films mindset. But I'll I'll probably slow down eventually. Start doing other stuff again. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, Peter, you got anything? Uh, September fourteenth, I'll be at Governor's in the hey. little in the little room. It's like there's a bunch of cool people on that show. Uh, Who's on it? Mary Capone, uh, Andre Kim, our Andre, friend, Andre, shout out, uh, Molly Cornfeld, and some other comics that I'm forgetting. I apologize. Mm-hmm. And then that's let's important comics. See the twenty seventh, twenty eighth. I'll be back at Wisecrackers in Wilkesbury. Nice, first time in a Hosting? long time. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing there. And then I'm headlining a show that I'm producing. This one's important. Uh, October 4th. It's at Ellery's, which is in Middlesex, uh, New Jersey. I'll have more information on that. But it's going to be Andre Kim featuring, and Lynette Palladino is going to emcee the show. So hopefully that becomes a monthly thing. So we're doing two right now. We're doing October, November. And if it takes off, we'll do it every month. Are you doing 45 minutes? I'm going to try to do 50 to 60 minutes. Ooh! Yeah. Wow, uh, dude. Yeah. Where is it again? It's a, a place called Ellery's. It's in Middlesex Township, New Jersey. We're not too far from like Rutgers, like Middlesex okay. County, New Jersey. Like Central Jersey, Jersey, folks. Yeah, yeah, I got some. I got some. October 5th? October 4th, which is oh, a Friday. Sorry. October 4th. October yeah. 4th. So I'll have more details once we have like the poster made and everything like that. Awesome. Um, I just got a quick thing uh, this weekend, but like I guess we'll release this tomorrow, right? This, was, this we went can, well. We can we do whatever we want. Anything out of this. This is a good, smooth. Okay. I. Um, <laughs> I am going to be at Atlantic City Comedy Club tomorrow, Friday, um, September 6th through Saturday, September 7th, featuring for Mike Feeney. Oh, nice. He's headlining down there, and uh, Ben DeMarco is hosting. So it's, going be, it's going to be Ben, me, and Mike Feeney, all funny white men. Um, Just what comedy come, needs. <laughs> come, come down. No, but Mike Feeney's hilarious, obviously. You should come see him, and I'm okay, too. Um, nice. so, uh, yeah, that's, that's this weekend. Then at the end of September, I'm going to be going back down to DC with Sarah Armour and friends, probably Chloe LeBranch too. We'll figure out who else is going to be going down. I got to get the details on that, but I don't nice. have them yet. Um, yeah, that's it for now. All right, Cody. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. That was a pleasure. Was great, no, dude. Hi. All right. Bye. bye.